Hi guys, I'm Marie. And I'm Maddie. And we are here today recording Lost in the Woods. Welcome. So we didn't have an episode last week. We didn't do a red couch report. There really wasn't anything crazy going on. Um, I think we did do one little update on our story or something like that, but uh, we're happy to be back this week. Today we are bringing you the story of Kate Matrasova, who would hike across New Hampshire's highest peaks in a dusk to dawn hike on President's Day weekend. We were just talking about mountaineering because this is mountaineering. This might be low-level mountaineering for, like, real mountaineers. Yeah, I feel like if you are, like, recommended to have mountaineering gear on a hike, it's mountaineering. Like, helmets, ropes. Uh, I mean, I like kind of gear. I kind of agree with that somewhat. Like, there are some mountains that I've climbed where I, I used or needed some form of mountaineering gear, but I wouldn't call it mountaineering. It just depends on the rating of it, but this hike, what... Kate is doing is 100% mountaineering. It's just less scary mountaineering than the goals that extreme mountaineers have. So like when Kate first started talking about doing this hike because she just really wanted to do it, some of her mountaineering friends were like, oh, that one's not even worth like putting on your list. It's not even worth saying you accomplished that. Like this is considered low level for mountaineers. But extreme for Hikers or backpackers. I would call this mountaineering. I, I would call what it I is just... mountaineering. I said it's mountaineering. <laughs> I would call this it is why mountaineers well, I just... don't get along with hikers. Right here. <laughs> this is it. Well, I just saw those guys go through in that video. Okay, so we did just watch a video, which we'll talk about later. Yes, but that's also extreme weather conditions. So mountaineering is mostly super dangerous because... Where you go to mountaineer has its own weather. It's not like the mountains that Maddie and I hike sometimes, which some of them have their own weather, but not to this extreme. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. And mountaineering is so scary because I feel like it can go wrong. In so many ways. In so many ways so quickly, like in an instant. Maddie likes Florida hiking. (laughs) Okay, But by the time we are done telling you this story, you will be well aware of the dangers of mountaineering. So here we go. Okay, so Kate grew up in southern Siberia and was born Ekaterina Matrosova, but goes by Kate. Yeah, I feel like it's hard for us to pronounce names here. We probably pronounced that one wrong, so... So she came to the United States on a student visa. She received her master's degree in financial engineering and worked for multiple firms on Wall Street. She was described as always smiling and befriending people, someone you would remember. And her and her husband lived in New York City. Now, at 32, Kate was very fit and had run a number of marathons, which we know does not mean shit when it comes to hiking or backpacking. However... You're going to hear in a second about her hiking as well. I feel like every person that lives in New York City runs marathons. I know, right? She was also ranked number two for females in judo in the United States in her age bracket. She was a very informed mountaineer and had four big peaks under her belt, including Kilimanjaro. Mm. 
She had also claimed a number of 15 to 25K mountains. So she's a serious mountaineer. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I would call that serious. Yeah. 100%. Now, on the evening of February 13 in Manhattan, New York, Kate packs and readies her gear. So when Maddie and I pack and ready our gear, you've probably seen pictures of mine because it's all laid out and organized by section of need on our big island table. And then I pack it in a very particular way. Maddie's is usually in a pile on the floor next to her bag. Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah. So I'm assuming based on what I've read about Kate that her methods are probably a little more similar to mine or a little more organized than Maddie's. But you know. The following day, they would make the six-hour drive to New Hampshire. Also on this day, the Mount Washington Observatory weather forecast showed a winter storm watch Saturday afternoon until Sunday evening, which is the time frame that she would be up there. Now, by 6.18 p.m., it was upgraded to a warning with the presidential range to be between 80 and 100 miles per hour with gusts up to 115 and wind chill would be between negative 60 and negative 70 degrees. Right? And this might sound crazy and really just not a good idea, but this is still doable for a mountaineer, for an experienced mountaineer. On February 15th, 2015, she planned to day hike and summit the four presidential mountain range to celebrate President's Day. Her husband would drop her off early in the morning and pick her up on the other side of the range so she wouldn't have to backtrack. This is exactly what I did when I hiked the enchantments. So instead of going all the way through and coming back, you put a car at one side, you put a car at the other side, or you get a ride, and then you only have to hike through one direction. So very, very good way to do it, especially for a hike like this. Now, her plan was to go light and fast. So on a trek like this, you either pack light to hike fast or you pack heavy to take your time, right? So if you're going to pack heavy, it's going to be to spend the night or spend multiple days in there. If you're going to pack light, the idea is that you get through before you need any of that gear. Mm -hmm. She would be hiking with her mountaineering down suit, mountaineering boots, and her crampons. Now, this would also mean that she would not be carrying a shelter or a sleeping bag. Yeah, see, what's so nice about our tent is that we can pack it for light. So I pack my tent no matter what hike we're doing because there's no reason not to. It's so light. I would rather have that protection in case. Mm -hmm. Because even if we don't have the warm gear that we need, at least we can get out of the wind and the rain. By the way, you run into like a torrential downpour in the mountains you pop your tent up really fast, you huddle in it for a couple hours, and sometimes you can wait out that rain, which can be really nice. So she also had six exit points identified on her itinerary in case she needed to get below the tree line in a hurry. Her plan was to take about 13 hours. Now, this was a 15-mile hike. 
but had a significant amount of elevation gain. She would climb over 8,700 feet. So that's probably double the highest you've done in a day. No, thank you. (laughs) So Maddie will not be doing this hike with me if I decide to go do it. Now, when I did my day through hike on the enchantments, it was 20.4 miles with 7,782 in gross elevation. So net was like 6,400, which took me about 12 hours. Okay, so I had more mileage to cover than hers, but less elevation. So with her experience, if the weather held out, 13 hours to me seems doable if she's very fit. Also, my time included a lot of like breaks and swimming and things like that because it wasn't in the snowy mountains like yeah. hers. We we had snow, but only at the very highest elevations. So February 14th, around 3 p.m., the couple arrives at the Royalty Inn in Gotham, New Hampshire. It's Valentine's Day and President's Day weekend, and she will spend the time preparing for her hike the following day. They had talked about her husband accompanying her the day of this hike, but her plan would set an unsuitable pace for him. Yeah, and I can completely relate to this because I make a lot of choices whether I'm going to hike alone or with somebody else based on the pace that I want to set sometimes. So, like, if I wanted to go really fast, I might not take Maddie with me. Yeah. Don't take me with you. (laughs) And she also tried to get someone from her hiking community to go with her, but she didn't have any luck. Let's talk about her pack for a second. So... She has a High Sierra Summit 45 pack, and in it, she is packing her Smith goggles, two Apple iPhones, which one of them is just for music. So she probably has a bunch of music that she likes downloaded on her old phone, maybe, but is also packing her new phone. Yeah, maybe. So I thought that was kind of weird, but then when I I started thinking about it, it really wasn't. She has a Garmin Global Positioning System GPS Model 62 wristwatch. So this Garmin is her wristwatch, not like a Garmin like I have Mm -hmm. for emergency communications. She has an Appalachian Mountain Club Trail Map, 29th edition. And on this map, her route is outlined in black. So the, the route that she's planning on taking. She has her handwritten hiking itinerary along with a pen. She has her Nevia chapstick. She has an in-Marsat satellite phone with case. And that one kind of confuses me, but we'll talk about that later. She has a GoPro Hero 3 camera with homemade selfie stick, which her husband made the day before. So they tried to find a selfie stick for her, and they were unable to find one, like at a store. So he made her one out of, like, a lead pipe and some other stuff. Interesting. Yeah. She has a Ziploc with apple tangerine, granola bars, peanuts, fruit snacks, and Quaker popped rice. She has a blue Nalgene 32-ounce water bottle, which is full. She has a white Nalgene 32-ounce water bottle with blue neoprene holder, which is full, 
And she has a red Nalgene 32-ounce water bottle with blue neoprene holder, and it's also full. She has a lot of, like, um, because the Nalgene bottles aren't the lightest thing. No, but I know so many people who have those. That's, like, what everybody has. That's, like, the hiking water bottle. Maddie and I don't carry them because they're heavy. She also has an LED headlamp. She has a Smith bag for her goggles. She has black diamond crampons with case. She has Foster Grant sunglasses with case. She has a Ulimi LED light, a journal with a blue paper cover. For clothing, she has a pair of black North Face gloves, Outdoor Research Primaloft gloves, Outdoor Research glove liners, black Columbia mitts. So she's got she's got a lot of layers for her hands. This is my kind of girl. I would need like that many layers yeah. for my hands. She has a green winter hat. She has a Burton black winter hat. She has mountain hardware down pants, REI spandex nylon pants, North Face flight series pants, marmot down jacket, Under Armour inner jacket, marmot Gore-Tex hooded shell, marmot outer shell pants, REI gaiters, wool socks, La Sportiva mountaineering boots, which are very nice boots, there are also three items that Kate packed but were never found. And that would be her trekking poles, her mountaineering axe, and her thermos of hot tea. All stuff she probably would have had. On her? On the outside. On the outside. Mm-hmm. Damn, she was probably blown right off the mountain. That's so terrifying. That's so terrifying. Imagine, like, you are fucking hiking along. Trekking poles in hand. And the wind is blowing. And the you wind so is blowing hard. It's you, you so off the ground. hard that you feel like you're gonna fly, and then all of a sudden you just yeah lose it, and you go sliding right off. I think after this story, Maddie will definitely not be. I was setting any goals like this with me. I was kind of like because this into is like my dream. This is like my dream hike right now. Like I would love to go and do this hike tomorrow. I'm not strong enough to fight 100-mile-hour winds. I would be gone. Indeed. Hit a rock, concussion, I'm dead. Maddie is dead on the mountain from the wind. That night, Kate checks the Mount Washington Observatory website where she would see that temperatures would drop to 20 below by the following afternoon. So I think in Kate's mind, she's thinking... I will be heading down by the time this storm hits. There is a warning with this forecast, and that warning says mountain weather is subject to rapid changes and extreme conditions. This outlook is just one tool to help you plan for a safe trip. Always travel with adequate clothing, shelter, food, and water, and make your own assessment of weather conditions. So the plan is to arrive at the trailhead by 4.30 a.m. However, the couple sleeps through their early alarms and will not arrive until 5. Yeah, and this might not seem like a big deal, but I can tell you right now that it is. Because starting a half hour late can be very damaging to your itinerary and your plans. Especially when you're doing basically like a dawn to dusk hike. Yeah. And this could be the delay that prevents Kate from logging into the Mount Washington Observatory website. She doesn't log on in the morning. Okay. 
And this could be because she was already running late. Yeah. Now, it is a 6.4-mile drive to the Appalachian Trailhead where she will begin. Now, let's take a look at her itinerary. She has herself leaving the trailhead at 4.30 a.m. She will then summit Mount Madison by 8 a.m. So, this would take the 3.8 miles on the Valleyway Trail, which is a 3,500 ascent, to the Madison Springs Hut and up the summit of Mount Madison. She would then go back to the hut, turn left onto Star Lake Trail, and hike one mile to the summit of Mount Adams, arriving by 9 a.m. She will then descend Adams and head to Thunderstorm Junction, and this is where her first bailout option would be. Here, Lowe's path can be followed to Gray's Knob Cabin, which is operated year-round 24-7 by a caretaker. So if you get into trouble early on, there is actually a station person at a cabin with food, supplies, and warmth that you can get to. Mm. Relatively easy. So not needing that, she would link up with Gulfside Trail and approach Israel Ridge Path. Here, she would find her second bailout option. The perch, which can be found off of this junction, is a three-sided lean-to that would provide some protection from the elements. She can also take this trail and link back to the Gray's Knob cabin from here if she can make it a little further. Okay? So lean-to, not the best option, but would get her out of the elements. Yeah. But can also get back to the cabin. Now, if no bailout is needed, she would cross Edmonds Coal and then ascend Mount Jefferson by 11 a.m. She also notes that she can still bail from Edmonds Coal and follow the trail that links back to the perch lean or follow it further back to Gray's Knob Cabin. Okay, so she has lots of bailout options. Yes. Now, after descending Jefferson, she would follow the short Jefferson Loop Trail which would link back to the Gulf side. And just beyond the Sphinx Dome, she can access her fourth bailout point. She can take a left onto Sphinx Trail and get below the tree line. However, this is a quick desperation bailout since there is no shelter besides the trees. But it is a known way to quickly get below the tree line if you are in an emergent situation. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, from the Gulfside Trail, she will take the Clay Loop Trail. It was two miles from Jefferson to Mount Clay, and she would summit Mount Clay at 1 p.m. Now, I know two miles doesn't seem like a lot, you guys, but there's actually it's actually pretty intense going down and back up again. Descending from Clay, she would link back up to the Gulfside Trail. Here would be her fifth bailout option. If she turned left onto the Jewel Trail and headed down to the tree line where the Cog Railway is located. If she didn't need that, from the Gulfside Trail, she would find her final peak of the day, Mount Washington, at 6,288 feet by 3 p.m. She has one final bailout option still available at this point, and that is to follow the Cog Railroad tracks back to the Cog Station. If she didn't need that, she would summit Mount Washington and follow the Crawford path where she will still arrive 
at Lake of the Clouds Hut. This hut is also closed and locked during winter, just like the Madison Springs hut that she encounters at the beginning of her hike. Okay. But she estimates that she will arrive there by 4 p.m. From there, she will head down to the Amanusik Ravine Trail, where she projects that she will reach the tree line by the 517 sunset. And her final three miles would be easy work as the sky darkened around her. Her trailhead arrival time is noted as 6 p.m. This is a really tight schedule. Yeah, it is. And it does not leave very much time for decision-making. Or even for breaks. She's going to have to be hustling it. There are just so many things that could potentially go wrong when you are summiting this many mountaintops. Yeah. All of her itinerary is planned to take less time than the guidebooks say you should, like, how much time you should take. Right, and I'm always faster than the guidebooks, so I get that. But when I make my plans, I always plan them with the time frame that the guidebooks allot, and then I have extra time if needed. Okay, so now her husband and her actually hiked the month prior up to the Madison Spring Hut, where they had set up their tent and spent the night. The plan was to just get a feel for the terrain and see how far they would get. Because at this point, a month prior, she's already planning her hike. So she just kind of wants to get a feel for the area. Yeah. Especially since this is the area that she will be hiking in the dark. She's one of those people that has trouble turning around. And I think the majority of hikers and backpackers are like that. Uh, But... Maybe, maybe me. At 5 a.m. when she stepped out of the car, she shouldered her pack and put on her headlamp. The parking lot is just below the tree line, and she headed up the Valleyway Trail. And as she did this, her husband actually pulled out his camera and took a picture of her. Sad. Yeah. Now, he does hesitate for a few moments longer, in case she returns before he gets in his car and heads out. And remember, her first hour and a half is going to be in the dark. Now, as she hiked along, she would actually pass signs declaring the dangers of this hike. And one of these signs would read, Try this trail only if you are in top physical condition, well-clothed and carrying extra clothing and food. Many have died above the timberline from exposure. Turn back at the first sign of bad weather. Scary. Doesn't that just reading that make you want to turn around and go back to the car? (laughs) I have actually passed signs like that. I did not turn around. At 5.10 a.m., the Mount Washington Observatory predicted a developing weather system. It read, in the clouds with snow and blowing snow. With white out conditions expected, temperatures starting about 5 degrees dropping to about negative 20, winds from the northeast becoming northwest at 45 to 60 miles per hour, rapidly increasing to mid-morning to 80 to 100 miles per hour, with gusts up to 125. With severe conditions expected from the summit, to the valley, hiking will be extremely dangerous from Sunday through Monday. And hiking above the tree line is strongly discouraged. 
If search and rescue needs arise, help will be slow going or postponed until conditions approve. All SAR assistance, if needed, will have to come from below as Summit staff will not be able to assist in any way, shape, or form. A single injury will potentially put several lives at risk, not just your own. Yeah, that's a pretty um, harsh warning, I feel like. Yeah. And this goes out at 510, which if you remember, Kate leaves the parking lot at 5 a.m. So she would miss this update. Scary. Now, Sam Kilburn, a Northwest Mountaineering guide, would actually turn back his group at the tree line based on this warning. Because he leaves the parking lot after this warning and has already seen it. So when he gets to the tree line and sees the condition, he makes the decision to turn back with his group. The NFS posted the following warning on their site. Mount Washington will truly be putting on a show today and tomorrow. Its well-earned reputation for harsh winter weather will be on display, and I'd recommend taking a seat away from the action for this show. And then they posted the projected weather patterns. And the reputation, they're not kidding. So around 150 people have already lost their lives on this mountain range. The mountains all have their own weather, but this one is a special case. Trees actually stop growing around 4,400 feet because of the extreme weather and winds. And this leaves a lot of the mountain range exposed and open to the elements. But the wind is really the biggest problem. When she reaches the tree line, she turns on her GPS and would be checking it throughout her trip to make sure that she was still on track. There are no trail markers further to the summit. Now, one thing that Kate did not know, could not know, is that the Mount Washington Weather Observatory would actually record winds that day at 141 miles per hour with a wind chill of negative 85 degrees. Oh my God. That's literally like walking hypothermia. Yeah, that's insane. Crazy. 141 mile per hour winds. I can't even imagine what that would even feel like. Not okay. No. Pushing you over, knocking you over. You you can't stand, right? No. Not in 140-some mile per hour winds. I wouldn't be able to stand in that. I suppose it depends on how much you weigh and how much gear you have on maybe. But that would knock me over for sure. There's no way. I don't know. I feel like some people are just dense enough to stand in that. Like Shed. I feel like Shed could withstand. I feel like he could <laughs> stand his ground for 141 mile per hour winds. Yeah, Maybe. By early morning, she would pass another yellow warning sign. The area ahead has the worst weather in America. Many have died there from exposure, even in the summer. Turn back now if the weather is bad. And this sign was signed by White Mountain National Forest. So was the weather bad when she was up here at this sign? It is bad, but it's bad to what she kind of thought it was going to be. It's not bad to what it actually turns out to be. So at this time in the morning when she's hiking up, the weather's still not terrible. And it's not expected to be terrible, according to her knowledge, until late that afternoon. But we 
already know that they've updated that and said that it's going to start earlier. Now, at 8.58, she arrives at Madison Spring Hut, where she stops. The hut is actually boarded up and locked, but she spends a total of 11 minutes here. And we know this because of her GPS, because it's tracking her right now, right? So she's probably taking a break, having a snack, something like that. She reached the coal between Adams and Madison, where she headed left up to the summit of Madison. At 9.57, just 254 feet from the summit of Madison, she turns off her GPS. Right, and I I actually think this is a really strange thing to do right before you summit a mountain. So I'm not sure why she would do this. She should have enough battery in her GPS to make it her entire hike. At least mine would, but for some reason she turns it off. And there are some theories that maybe because she had spent time in this area before and she's running behind that maybe she elected to not complete the summit and turned off her GPS to not have that known, I guess, maybe. I don't know. I don't understand. I don't know either. So at this point, she is an hour and 37 minutes behind schedule. Yep. So after her summit, we assume she headed back to the main trail. Yep. And here she stops at the hut, turns her GPS back on, and it's 1023. So it took her about 28 minutes to ascend and 44 to descend. So she is slowing down considerably. Yeah. Which going, going, yeah, going down in the wind is really hard. It's at this point that she takes a picture. Her blue eyes are sparkling in this picture, and it almost looks like she's smiling. But you can't see her face, obviously, or you can't see her smile. Also, the sky looks pretty clear around her. It looks blue at this point. In Ty Gegnes' book, Where You'll Find Me, great book, by the way, He points out that if you look closer at this picture, you can see thick frost on her eyelashes, the prominent patches of frostbite starting on each of her cheeks, and redness spreading to the bridge of her nose. And she also has frost on the gator pulled up over her mouth, which is probably frozen stiff now or will soon be from her condensation. So when I look at the picture, I'm like, yeah, she looks like she's having a great time. But when a professional mountaineer looks at the picture or a profession, more professional, he sees warning signs in it. When she leaves the hut, she goes left on the Star Lake Trail. She is eight miles from the Mount Washington summit and had no way of knowing that the sensors there are showing an alarming decline in the weather. So Washington is her final summit of the day, and they actually have sensors on Washington that report back to their observatory so mm-hmm. that they know exactly what the weather is. And it is not looking good. Yikes. Yikes. So the Starlight Trail would take her to the summit of Mount Adams. By now, the wind was already significantly more than projected. Right, but she might not realize that either. Yeah. Uh, at 10.36 a.m., when she should stay right, she goes straight. And this could have been intentional since the spot where she goes would provide more solace from the wind. 
she stops for eight minutes, which is kind of a long time to stop in this kind of weather. Mm -hmm. Because it's really cold, but she might be feeling the effects of the wind and the cold and just be exhausted already. By the time she summoned Adams around noon, the wind had reached hurricane levels and was slowing her down considerably. So, 1247, it is clear at this point that she decides to abandon her hike and turn back, but it may have been too late. The wind continued to slow her down, and she probably would be experiencing quite a bit of hypothermia by this point. With the high winds, she could have been blown off the trail or simply lost her way and tried to get to the tree line faster. She's about 100 feet off the trail when she activates her RESQ link, PLB, or Personal Locator Beacon. And she activates this to signal that she needs rescue. And this is at 3.30 p.m. She is three-tenths of a mile from the Madison Spring Hut. But she may have been unable to find it or unable to travel due to the wind or possible injuries if she had been lifted off the ground. Mm -hmm. So when she activates her PLB device, her number is called FIRST in case the device was activated by accident. It goes straight to voicemail. Second, they call her husband, who sits in their hotel room, already concerned because he's been watching the weather worsen. He had even visited the Mount Washington Observatory and is attempting to purchase access to the summit cameras. Which, even if he was able to do this, he wouldn't be able to see anything because visibility is so bad on these cameras right now. They ask him if he knows where Kate is, and he says that she is hiking the presidential mountain range, and if she's activated her beacon, she must be in real trouble. Oh my gosh. I would have to be in real trouble too before I would activate mine. So I know what he means. Like I would, I would even if I was in trouble, like when I was on Mount St. Helens, I didn't activate my beacon. And I was in trouble. But I didn't activate it. I just got myself out of trouble. Yeah. And I think that that happens a lot where sometimes people wait too long to actually call for help. Because we're, we're scared, right? Like, you don't want to be the person that has to get rescued from the mountain. It's kind of embarrassing, I feel like. Yeah. Police and SAR are then notified. And by this time, it is negative 37 degrees with the wind blowing at 100 miles per hour, with forecasts suggesting that it is going to get worse. The cell phone company pings her phone and shows that the phone is turned off or that the phone is dead. And we do later learn that it's just turned off. There was a location pinged at 11.30 showing her in North Conway. Obviously, this is a false reading, but it did indicate that she had turned on her phone at that time. And this might have been to check to see if she had service or to check on the weather. Mm -hmm. But at this time, she did not have service, which is why her ping is putting her somewhere else. So Mountain Rescue Services was called, and they have experienced climbers that are familiar with the terrain. The SAR team would receive a second emergency transmission around 7 p.m., and this was before reaching the Valley Way Trail. Yeah, So now, if you start at the trailhead, it is a couple miles to the Valley Way Trail. And then it is another five miles to the Mount Madison Summit. 
So when I look at the map, guessing on the mileage based on the map, they are not even halfway to where her first signal was sent from before they get the second one. So they're still hiking in, but haven't gotten that far when they get the second one, right? This second one was below the tree line off of the Valleyway Trail. So Sar figured that this was a good sign and that she had moved to a safer place below the tree line. And they made the decision to rescue her at the second location. So they detoured off of the Valleyway Trail. This meant that they had to bushwhack through the forest in very deep snow, and they were only moving about 600 feet per hour. They would arrive at the GPS location around midnight, but Kate was nowhere to be found. A third location comes out, and this location is closer to the original location. And this is when Sar comes to the realization that the second transmission must have been incorrect. Fuck. By now, the temperature has dropped to negative 35 degrees, and the wind has become unbearable. They are forced to abandon the search and head back to the parking lot where they will call in a second SAR team. It is 3 a.m. when they arrive back at the trailhead, and the second team would arrive at 9 a.m. and would consist of 11 searchers. They decided to go to the original spot where she had signaled from. And by this time, Kate had sent another eight alerts. So now 11. She has sent 11 emergency locations out, which like stresses me the fuck out. Yeah, no, I'm not okay. By 9 a.m., there's a search plane and a search helicopter in the air, and the ground crews will make their way to Madison Spring Hut, and then when they reached it, they would hunker against the wind for a short rest. So the group is struggling against the conditions and they have such low visibility that they actually pass the first beacon location. And the group is forced to turn back where they spread out and move down the slope. Yeah, and I will post either a link to this video or I will post a screenshot of this video. You guys, it's fucking crazy. Like, it's one of the searchers, and he is videoing, like, a, in selfie mode, kind of. And you can see three searchers behind him. And the wind is literally blowing them around like paper dolls. Yeah. Like, it is legit lifting them off the ground as they're trying to switch back down this section. Fuck. One of the searchers locates a backpack about 30 feet in front of him. As he moves towards the backpack, he sees a headlamp with no strap and a dowel sticking out of the backpack. Which confuses him, obviously, but this is actually the homemade selfie stick. But not something that you would expect to see in a backpacker's backpack. Yeah. So he checks under the backpack to see if she's been buried underneath it. He surveys the area and spots her. She is lying on the 25-degree slope above her bag. It is now 1 p.m. Sadly, Kate had perished through the night. They found her lying face down in the snow more than 100 feet from the trail. She did not have her backpack or crampons on her person. Her GPS is about 20 feet from her body and her headlamp 
was on and she had cuts and scrapes on her face. Like her headlamp was switched on, not on her, because the headlamp was on the ground, but it was switched on. Yeah, and they do find her locator beacon inside her backpack, and searchers say that this could have actually contributed to the inaccurate pings because it didn't have a view of the night sky. That's assuming that she kept it in her pack while she continued to call for help. Yeah. Her left shell pant leg is unzipped up to her knee, and the strap of her waiter is undone. And this kind of thing usually happens if you're post holing. So she didn't have snowshoes on her. So if she was trying to walk through any kind of thick snow, it would have damaged her gaiters and her snow pants. There are small tears in her pants. Her left forearm of her jacket is torn, and she is wearing every layer of clothing that she has. And her goggles are up on her forehead. Which, in this kind of condition, like reading the accounts of the searchers, when it's this cold out, you can't really see through your goggles anyway. They like frost up and get impossible to see through. Mm -hmm. So that might explain why she's not wearing them on her eyes and has pushed them up, which would make her eyes freeze, by the way. One possible tragic thing is that in her final resting place, Kate actually had cell phone service. Whether or not she checked her phone, we will probably never know. And there is a chance that it may have been too cold for her phone to even work. Yeah. Or that she'd be able to see it. I mean... Or that in her final resting place, maybe she had service, but maybe she didn't have service where she was hunkered down. Yeah. Who knows if she was blown around? I know. The rescue crew loads her into a litter, which that's like, it looks like a sled. It's like an emergency thing. It looks like a sled attached to ropes. And they bring her the painstaking hours down the mountain. When they reach the tree line, Exiting into the parking lot, they actually cover her with a tarp to shield her from any eyes that are in the lot. They pick her up and deliver her into the hearst that is waiting there. God, they're like pole bearers or something. That's so disturbing. Ugh. When they drive the six miles to tell her husband, they find him in his hotel room and there are roses and chocolates on the table. Well, because remember, it's like Valentine's Day weekend. Yeah. Ugh. Super, super tragic. I mean, Kate is definitely one of the more prepared I mountaineers. Think this is our first case we've done where someone has a GPS on them. And doesn't survive. It 100% is. Yeah. We have always said that we have never done a case where somebody that had a GPS and a weapon on them perished. And this is the first one with a GPS. Which also, just saying a weapon wouldn't have done her any good. But those are that's for, like, the murder cases, right? But it, it's so tragic because she was so prepared and the weather. I mean, so many things just worked against her. Yeah, she couldn't have known. She wouldn't have known. The only thing that Kate probably could have done is turn back sooner. But she probably had no idea just how much danger she was in. No, she probably had no idea. I did read the book, Where You'll Find Me, by Ty Gagne. I don't, I'm probably saying that so wrong. It was a really, really good book. 
but I'll also put a link to the YouTube video that has the search and rescue crew, or I'll post it. I'll try to find it where I can post it. It is absolutely insane. And this episode was recommended by Renee Arsenault. Arsenault? Arsenault? Um, that's probably wrong too, but thanks Renee for recommending it. And this will be why I will not be going mountaineering. Nope. Which, if you want to hear the full version of Madison's now complete refusal to go mountaineering with me, you can click over to our Bunker Talk. We are going to click over there and talk about this case a little more and maybe talk about some of the things that could have been done differently. Or mostly we're going to talk about Maddie probably refusing to go with me into the mountains now. But yeah. Before we go, we would like to thank Alicia Rourke for buying our coffee today. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Alicia. We really, really appreciate those little gestures from our listeners because coffee's expensive. <laughs> and we want to have coffee or Red Bull or something every time we record, and sometimes we don't. So we really appreciate it. Yep. All right, you guys. Thank you so, so much for tuning in. Please come take a look at our Patreon and support us there. We will put a link in the description and we really, really appreciate all of you. All right. We will see you guys next week. Bye. She had a light pack containing goggles, a headlamp, a hat. She had her GPS with her trail already downloaded in case visit in case of visibility issues. She shoulders her pack. She puts her backpack on. Yeah, shoulders her pack. That that's what it's that's what it's called. Shouldering your pack. Who the fuck says that? I say that. When? What's wrong with saying that? You've never she, heard that. No. She shoulders her pack? Yes. It's a real thing. She put her backpack on. She shoulders her pack. I'm not like saying it's incorrect English. I'm saying who says that? You're looking at like two less words. It's not about the number of words to shoulder your pack though is the same thing as putting it on so why wouldn't you shorten it to shoulder your pack yes when am i putting on a shield and going out to war I'm like punch you in the face she shoulders her pack as she Literally. marches off into the woods like it does what is not this, say a anything novel? about marching off to the woods this is a podcast not a novel oh my god you know you can't be trusted to sit here and be quiet. I don't know why you thought you'd climb up on my lap and hang out here. <laughs> you're too squirmy. You're too loud. Hayden's just sitting here playing video games. Like yeah, you're too loud, baby. So Phoenix just came in here because Cordy brought me water, and she's trying to tell me that she's not going to be loud. But I am sorry. What are you sorry for? I just missed you, that's all. Oh, I miss Aww. you too. Maybe we should take a break recording and you should go hang out with Cordy. Stop it. <laughs> she misses you. 
Why you miss me? You see me every day. You're You're not tired of me when you record. You don't like it when I record. No. No. I don't. Phoenix, is there anything you want to tell our listeners? No. Are you sure? Tell them you want to hang out with your mom. (laughs) Stop. So when mommy's done, maybe we can get some more things to fill up our compost bin. Does that sound good? Yeah. Tell them about our compost bin. We made a compost bin. What did we do for our compost bin? What's in there? What do you do? Leaves, bananas, and other things. What other things did we put in there? Paper. What else? Eggshells. Eggshells, that's a good one. What else did we put in there? Sticks. Tea bags. Yep, we put lots of stuff in there, huh? And then what do we have to do every uh, two to five days? Jump all over one into the outside one. No, we do that every day. So we have our indoor compost bin that we dump into the outdoor compost bin every single day, and we rinse it out. But what do we have to do with our big compost bin every two to five days? Spin it. We have to spin it. How many times do we have to spin it? Five or ten. Yep, five or ten times. Whose job is that? Mine. Yep, (laughs) that's right. And then what are we going to do with our compost once it's all composted? Put it in our garden. Yep. What are we going to plant in our garden? Um, Fruits and vegetables. Yep. Actually, we kind of need to go pick up seeds, too, so maybe we can do that when Mommy's done, okay? Okay? Okay. Okay, do you want to finish this sentence or is her shouldering her pack too disruptive for you? I can't handle it. I'm not saying it. I refuse. <sighs> I'm going to change the wording if it's my sentence. If you want shoulder her pack to be in, you got to say it. Okay. Oh my gosh. Let me let me show you this video. I have this video already tagged, but look at so this is the search and rescue crew that's out looking for her mm-hmm. during this storm. Watch them. Watch the guys in the background. Oh my god. Isn't that crazy? I don't like mountaineering. Mountaineering is pretty scary. I can agree with you on that one. Just prepare your mouth before you open it. That's what she said. (laughs) No. Too too far. I wasn't actually going to make it that's what she said joke. I was going to say that makes me want to punch you in the face when you say that. Uh.